Welcome to the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast for another example of astronomy and astronomy-related misconceptions, mistakes, half-truths, and conspiracies. My name is Stuart Robbins, and this is episode 160 for the second half of March 2017. The topic I'm going to talk about today is the Apollo moon hoax, specifically waving flags and no return. I haven't really talked about the Apollo moon landings for, well, over a hundred episodes, but I was recently asked to address a few more claims on the Facebook page for the podcast, and also pretty much all of the pages on my blog still get comments about this uh, almost a decade later from people claiming that we never did go to the moon. They really offer, well, not much new, but I did want to address at least two more claims in this episode, and it's actually going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. The first claim has to do with the U.S. flag, and the second claim has to do with something a very annoying radio host keeps bringing up, regardless of how many times it's addressed, and that is why we haven't gone back to the moon. The first claim is simply put as, in some photos, the United States flag appears to be waving. Now, of course, if what they say is true, and there really is no air on the moon, the flag can't possibly be waving because there's nothing to wave it. There's no air. Therefore, there must have been air there. Therefore, it must have been on Earth in a soundstage or in Utah or Nevada or wherever. Now, first off, the most annoying thing to me about this claim is that the wording itself shows that the person repeating the claim really does not know of what they speak. A still photograph cannot show motion. It shows, usually, a tiny fraction of a second in time. If something is moving during that time, it will be blurry. That's called motion blur. In no photograph that any hoax proponent has ever put forward does the flag show any sort of motion blur. It's always nice and crisp and sharp, demonstrating zero movement. Now, what's really going on is that the flag appears to show ripples, and not appears, it does show ripples. Hoax proponents claim that those are waves from motion. Before getting into really anything else whatsoever, I invite you to go to your bedroom or dirty clothes bin. Hopefully that's also in your bedroom. Are the sheets or clothes perfectly flat and laid out nice and straight? Or do they have creases and folds and undulations in them? Unless you're Martha Stewart, I suspect the latter. And I also suspect that unless you work in a hospital or a hotel, when you make your bed, if you make your bed, there will still be some ripples in the sheets. Even if you stretch those sheets out and try to make them nice and flat, there are still going to be small ripples. And yet, the sheets aren't moving. Even if you hang your clothes up, which is a better analogy for the flag on the moon, I can practically guarantee you that there are going to be small ripples and undulations and other synonyms for your clothes not being perfectly straight and perfectly flat. And yet, they don't move. That's the same with the flag. When the astronauts took the flag from the Lunar Excursion Module, or the LEM, it wasn't ironed and wasn't starched and wasn't pressed flat. It was a pretty normal flag. When the astronauts assembled the flag pole, the pole itself actually had an arm that was supposed to stretch the flag out in order to minimize ripples and make it appear as flat as possible, almost like a cardboard cutout, in which case we would have an entirely different hoax claim. On the first mission, the astronauts couldn't get the flag pole to work properly, 
And so they left it as it was. You know, all things considered, of stuff that could have gone wrong, that's pretty minor. The outcome was that the flag was simply not pulled tight, and when the astronauts physically manipulated the pull to get it in the lunar surface, and then physically manipulated the flag to make sure that it was attached to the pole, all of those wrinkles and creases and undulations were still there. Without air and breeze to slowly dampen out those undulations, they stayed put. The result was a flag that looked a bit like it was frozen in a moment in time after it had been waving in the breeze. Because all of our experiences on Earth, the astronauts thought that it looked more quote-unquote natural that way, and so they left it that way on future missions. So on future missions, they did not fully extend those poles to keep it tight. They sort of left it as if it were waving in the breeze with those undulations, as if it were frozen in time. But if the moon hoax proponents are correct, then something else must happen, even though it doesn't. In video, it would have to move. Remember, the hoax proponents claim that the flag is physically moving around due to wind wherever the Apollo landings were filmed, be it in Nevada, in Area 51, in wherever. While the hoax proponents offer still pictures which can't show movement, they never offer video that can show movement. You can watch hours and hours of video from the Apollo moon landings of astronauts moving around on the moon and the flag being in view. Unless the astronauts are physically manipulating the flag or the pole, the flag stays put. All of those ripples stay put. They don't move. At all. As they would have to if, well, it was moving in the breeze. The second claim for this episode is that because we've not gone back, we never went. An alternative of this is that we haven't gone back because we did go, but the aliens there told us not to go back. Another alternative is that we have been going back with the Secret Space Program, or SSP, but because it's secret, you don't know about it. Hence, the secret. Um, As this episode is about the hoax idea, I'm only going to talk about that first version. Now, the reason that I haven't really addressed any of the technological, nor really the political claims of the Apollo moon hoax family of claims, is that it's not easy. Politics is complicated, and technology is complicated as well. It's not as simple as, for example, the no stars claim, where I can explain how dynamic range works and exposure settings and uh, film bit depth and other things and sensitivity and dynamic range. All of those literally prove that the hoax claim is wrong. With politics and technology, things are fuzzier. Also, I wasn't alive at the time, so I have to go based on more of what I read rather than experienced. But I am going to try. The moon landings took place during the Cold War, when the first world was not battling with the second world, primarily the United States versus the United Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR, and their proxies. In the late 1950s and throughout the 1960s, We saw the space race, which was an ostensibly non-military application of technology and race to get things done first. It was a source of national pride and bragging rights and, perhaps to a lesser extent, a way to show the world whether democracy or socialism could get things done better or first. Politically, the U.S. Congress worked from that political goal, and the U.S. Presidents Kennedy, 
Johnson, and Nixon worked from that political goal and the money allocated by Congress. NASA's budget was as high as 4.41% as a fraction of the total U.S. budget. But that peak was in 1966, which was three years before Apollo 11 landed on the moon. In 1969, when Armstrong and Aldrin walked on the moon, NASA's budget was already halved. It was down to 2.31% of the federal budget, although that's slightly shifted because when the fiscal year starts and ends is not when the calendar year starts and ends, but basically it had been halved by the time Apollo 11 actually flew. By 1972, it had been pretty much halved again. NASA's budget was 1.48% of the federal budget, and that was when we last went to the moon with Apollo 17. To me, what this shows is a significant decline in political will to do anything with the space program, or at least the space program that had people. And, from the argument that I presented of beating the Soviets, well, we'd done it. There was no reason to even do anything after Apollo 11, and yet we still sent six more missions, five successfully. From a science standpoint, there was plenty of reason to continue to go. There still is now. There are a lot of questions left after the Apollo era, and the advancement of technology for designing instrument packages to take uh, measurements of different things on the surface and return material to Earth for analysis has advanced considerably. But there's politics. We're no longer racing against the USSR. We also don't have an electorate that's clamoring to go back to the moon to do science. If I can get a little bit snarky and complain, I would also say that we barely have a majority of the electorate, if even a majority, that's clamoring to do much of anything with science these days, much less uh, for science that many would probably likely perceive as a huge waste of money for relatively little gain. Why spend a few billion dollars to go back to the moon when we could spend that, say, repairing bridges and infrastructure to use something that's relatively politically neutral? The American Society for Civil Engineers has given America's infrastructure a D-plus score. Rail is the only thing that gets a B. Transit in general gets a D-minus. Things like aviation, dams, drinking water, inland waterways, levees, and roads all get a D. Where I live here in Colorado, 5.7%, or 497 out of the 8,682 bridges are structurally deficient. Heck, even I think that we should be spending some money on infrastructure before we send people to the moon. If this were an either-or choice, and often in politics, things are couched as an either-or. Either we go to the moon, or grandma gets heat for the winter. What's it going to be? Some of you listening might think that I may be a little too harsh with this. Let me know in feedback. But I suspect that many people these days view things similarly when it relates to spending. People want things now. And if they see a problem, they want that problem fixed. Sending people to the moon, I mean, when we've been there no less already, just so that some scientists can get some rocks seems kind of ridiculous if you live in a neighborhood where you're afraid to go outside. That money would be much better spent on urban development and neighborhood watches or police or even the court system. And right now, 
Most Americans view issues that are internal as more important, except perhaps uh, as the external ones that may seem to relate to terrorism. But the nameless, faceless terrorists aren't trying to send scientists to the moon, so we're not trying to beat them. The political will, I would argue, just is not there to go back to the moon, and that's what's needed. The Apollo program cost $20 billion, with a B in its time. In 2010 money, that's about $100 billion. The Orion program, which has never gotten off the ground, but which is slowly being built in order to allegedly go to the moon or somewhere else, uh, has so far had about $12.5 billion spent on it in 2016 dollars. I suspect that needs quite a bit more to get off the ground. And that's why we haven't gone back. It has nothing to do with us not having been there in the first place. It's that to get anything that costs any federal dollars done in America, you have to convince politicians that it's worth it. A majority of the members of Congress have to fund it, and then the president has to carry it out. Given the politics of today, I honestly don't see that happening anytime soon. It also has to be a sustained issue or sustained project for longer than any single politician's election cycle. In other words, things take time. And each time a new administration gets into power, they change the direction and the priorities of NASA. We went from Bush wanting to go to the moon to Obama wanting to go to Mars and an asteroid, and now Trump saying that he wants to go to the moon. As I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast knows, starting and stopping and restarting wastes time, energy, and resources. It's also somewhat disenfranchising to those engineers, scientists, and even the bureaucrats who actually work on these projects. To end on a slightly lighter note, I would point out that Congress, in general, has seemed to be a bit more friendly to and consistent to and with the space program. In general. While the president can set priorities for any non-legislative and non-judicial agency within the federal government, including NASA, it is Congress that holds the power of the purse. Congress, for the last several years, has consistently given more money to NASA than the president has requested. We'll see what happens during the Trump administration. But that money has tended to be more towards the basic research arm in planetary science, which happens to be where I get my funding from. So in other words, Congress can allocate money to NASA, but they can also put in line items. So they can say, we're giving, say, to use a very round number, which is rounding up, we're giving $20 billion to NASA. That doesn't mean that the president can then just spend $20 billion on a single study in NASA. What Congress can do, is, and Congress does, is Congress can say, of that $20 billion, you have to put say, $1 billion to a Europa mission. You have to put $10 billion into human spaceflight stuff. You have to put $2 billion into the Orion capsule. You have to put $5 billion into astrophysics. All of those kinds of things can be line items within the budget that the president then, by law, assuming that it's passed into law, has to follow in their allocation to NASA and to NASA's priorities. What all of that means is that if you want to go back to the moon with people, assuming that you want it funded by the federal government, then it's to your congressional representative that you should speak. 
As this episode is coming out late, there are no additional segments for this episode, and there isn't really even a good logical fallacy from this episode. Uh, I suppose there could be something like the false dichotomy, in there's the either-or with spending when it really shouldn't work that way and really doesn't work that way. Uh, But with that said, it is, well, April 1st as I record this, and this is the episode for the second half of March. So I'm going to leave you with this relatively shorter episode, And with that said, bye for now. That wraps up this topic for the 160th edition of the Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed it and learned a little, or a lot, at the same time. For more information about the podcast, please visit the website at podcast.sjrdesign.net. If you have any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website or send an email directly to podcast at sjrdesign.net. You can also leave a comment on the page for this episode on the website, podcast.at, or yeah, podcast at sjrdesign.net. Does anyone actually listen to this? Or you can leave a comment on the blog post for the episode, on the Facebook page for the podcast, or you can tweet me at pseudoastro. I do read every message and appreciate the feedback. If you have suggestions for topics, please feel free to make them. Also, please write a review and rate this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, or your podcast website or service of choice. If you liked it, then tell friends, family, and random internet people that might be a dog. <laughs>